So the Bible views masculinity and femininity differently. They're different things. Both men and women, we know from Genesis 1, are made in the image of God. And that means they're equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in value. God shows no partiality between men and women. He cares for you. He cares for men and women both equally. And the fact that he has designed them differently with different strengths, with different weaknesses, shows that we ultimately are made for each other. We're made for each other. Now, I want to acknowledge right at the start of this sermon that in the past, some people have uh, spoken of this differentness in ways that are nothing short of evil. There were evil and godless ways of viewing women in ancient and sometimes not so ancient societies that were an affront to the image bearers of God. And we don't want to fall into the trap of devaluing either side, whether it's men or women, because ultimately it is an affront to God himself when we do that. So we're going to spend today unwrapping the importance of godly femininity, what that actually means, what the Bible has to say about what it means to be a woman and in all its splendor and wonder, because it is an amazing thing. In fact, preparing this sermon was probably my most favorite sermon to have ever prepared in my entire time of preaching. The more I looked into it, the more amazing I found God's creation in the woman. And I hope as we're going through this, you guys are going to feel the same. Uh, and so as Christians, we know that the uh, Bible is the word of God. It means that as Christians, we believe the Bible the whole way down. We believe every page is the inerrant, inspired word of God. We think that God has a plan and purpose for all things. And that includes gender. It includes gender. Now, the Bible rejects the view of gender fluidity, which is a very popular view right now. Basically, that at any moment, gender is a spectrum and you can find yourself anywhere on this spectrum. The Bible rejects that view. The Bible says that gender was invented by God. It was invented by our great God. And God invented it to be, in the language of Genesis, very good. Very good. Proverbs 14, 27 says this, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. The word is where we go. Every time we want any teaching on a topic, if the Bible has spoken on it, we want to know what the Bible says. And we want to go there first and foremost. Why? Because it is a fountain of life. It is a fountain of life. Men and women are gloriously different and accomplish so much more together. We need each other. We need each other's gifts and talents. Um, and, and the purpose of God in creating all of the, all of these things is so that together we can be a bright and shining light to the culture, a culture very confused and a culture in chaos. So today, this uh, sermon I've titled The Shape of Femininity. Last week was The Shape of Masculinity, but now we're going to be looking at femininity. And just like last week, we've got five principles that I'm going to be drawing out and expounding upon and exploring. And those five principles are these. Number one, helper. Number two, housekeeper. Number three, life giver. Number four, lady of wisdom. And finally, number five, glory bearer. Five things. So Proverbs has an entire chapter dedicated to femininity. It's written by King Lemuel's mother. So this is King Lemuel's mother's words. And she must have been a woman of exceeding wisdom because they thought what she had to say about femininity was worthy of being put in the book of Proverbs as wisdom. So let's get into it. Proverbs 31. We're going to be reading from verses 10 to 31. I'm going to have the verses up on the screen as well. We're going to be looking at a lot of verses. So um, probably spend most of your time looking at the screen. An excellent wife 
Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, are you as exhausted as I am reading all this stuff that this woman does? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't even seem like she gets a moment rest. She's like a superwoman. She's probably like the CEO of a company at the same time. Um, okay, well, let's get into it. First point, helper, helper. The woman is made to be a helper suitable. We can look at verse uh, 11 and 12 of that. It says that the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She is someone who does him good. She earns his respect. He trusts in her. She's someone that is... Um, uh, goes out there and gets things done. She takes initiative. Now, this um, category for helper, immediately some of you guys will know the language that I'm pulling this from. Immediately you know, Genesis 2, this is what uh, I'm reading from, uh, Genesis 2.18, the words will come up on the screen. Uh, then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, if you read all of Genesis, you hear the word good come up a lot. Everything that God made was good. Everything. And yet God sees Adam alone, and for the first time in all of God's creation, throughout the whole breadth of God's creation, something is not good. There is something there that isn't good. God's made all these good things, good thing after good thing after good thing, and then he sees a man on his own, and he says, that's not good. A man shouldn't be on his own. He's probably watching Adam, you know, playing with his belly button or eating his breakfast out of a measuring tin or something like that. And he sees Adam, and Adam's incomplete. He's lacking. And at this point in the story of humanity, we're lacking something good. And in that moment, God does something amazing. He creates a helper for Adam, a helper suitable to help him complete these tasks that we learned about last week, of taking dominion, of filling, of subduing the world. Um, And before you go and think that this word helper carries any negative connotations, um, understand that almost every time that this word Ezer in Hebrew shows up, it's almost always referring to God. And the help that God gives. I'll give you some examples. Deuteronomy 33, 26. There is none like God, Ojashurin, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. 
Psalm 33.20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 75, you are my help and my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. The kind of help that God has given to the man in the woman is a godly kind of help. It comes from God. It comes from the word easy. Remember the word Ebenezer from the song, Come Thou Found? That's how you always remember that word from now on. Ezer means help. Um, and so this, uh, by the woman coming alongside man, a man, whether it doesn't have to be her husband, it can be uh, her father or her brothers or her sons or her friends, she enables the man to become all that he can be. She pulls him, uh, she pulls out of him his very best and he pushes, and she pushes forward the kingdom of God in a way that men would just be utter fail- failures without. It says his soul trusts in her. She does him good. This is the kind of help that God has envisioned for the man in the woman. Godly women come alongside adventurous men with vision and help them and support their ministry in God-given purpose. Being a helper in this way is a glorious thing. It's not dainty because God's help is not dainty. It's not servile, but it's the kind of help that only God provides. A godly woman is a godly helper because she is cast in God's image. She is made in God's image. Proverbs 18.22 He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14 A prudent wife, a wise wife, is from the Lord. A husband is described here as obtaining favour from the Lord. Now, I don't know if you read the Bible, but more often than not, God has a lot of faults to find in things rather than putting things forward as good. But if you find a prudent and a wise wife, that is a gift and favour from God. It is high words coming from the Lord. Now, it already takes you back, this word, you know, if you find a wife, you find a good thing, it's the same word in the garden. It's the same word in the garden. Just like God showed amazing favour to Adam in creating Eve, or he also gloriously gives grace to a man when he gives a man a woman. Women, listen carefully. You're highly valued to God. It's clearly seen throughout all scripture. You're highly loved by God. God places high value on you. And every man who has a wife should do the same. Should know that what has been given to him is a good thing. And that's why we need strong women who hold their heads high, who stand firm on God's word and press into the flourishing roles that God has given to them. Our Proverbs 31.17 says she dresses herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. We need strong women who understand their call and place as a helper because under the care of godly women there is flourishing, real flourishing. And, you know, we've just read all of Proverbs 31 and what's this common theme throughout all of Proverbs 31? Despite the fact that she's like a superwoman, we don't need to worry about that for the moment, but there's flourishing, right? Flourishing is the common theme throughout the whole thing. She has a flourishing household. These things I've just said is, are true, then godly women should learn to be uh, supportive, should learn to be submissive, and should learn to be strong. Next point, housekeeper. A god woman, godly woman has a flourishing household. A flourishing household. You can see the Proverbs 31 woman as a lady of the home. If the husband is the lord of the home, then the woman is the lady of the home. And she has been given a special role in the home. 
Now, as we read Proverbs 31, I want to say that this is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's not telling you that you need to do the exact same things she does because a lot of her uh, ways are now outdated. You don't need to make clothes for your children. You can go out to Target and buy those things. So that's we're not we don't have to copy her, but we take broad principles from her. So uh, Proverbs 31:15 it says she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her own household and portions for her maidens. Proverbs 31:21 she is not afraid of snow for her household for all her household are clothed in scarlet. 31:27 she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. The word household comes up constantly in Proverbs 31 especially when it's speaking of a woman in just the whole book of Proverbs in general. Now, this isn't something that's only true in the Old Testament, that Old Testament women had had households, but New Testament women don't, because we know in Titus 2, 3 to 5, uh, uh, Paul is encouraging older women. He says, Older women likewise are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, and this word here, working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now that word, working at home, three words in English, but actually one word in Greek, and it it's uh, ukuros, that's what it means in Greek, and it means a keeper of the home, a keeper of the home. So that's why I've chosen this word right now, deliberately housekeeper, because it, it carries this meaning really well. And uh, women have a particular responsibility towards the home. The man pushes back the wilderness we saw last week to make a safe place for his wife and for his children. The woman turns that safe place that the man has gone out and conquered and turns that safe place into a home, but not just any home, but a home of productivity. It's a place of productivity. It's a place that her household wants to be. Uh, Verse 27, it says she looks well to the ways of her household. It's her sphere of influence. It's her sphere of control. A godly woman enriches her whole household and turns the entire building into more than just a building, but a home. Strong masculinity produces strong femininity when you push back the wilderness and create that safe place, but strong femininity produces strong masculinity as well. That's why Peter can say in 1 Peter 3, 1 to 2, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The power of a wife in a home, even when the man doesn't believe. It's amazing. Peter knows the influence that godly feminine women can have on men. Peter enables, uh, sorry, this woman enables the men in her life to be all that God has made them to be. Godly, wise mothers enable their sons to be the kind of men that they can be. They enable their husbands, their brothers, their fathers in in a way that is um, beautiful and amazing. Uh, And just a quick word uh, before we move any further. If you have uh, problems in your marriage or your household or things are going on, I'm not saying that the reasons those problems are there is because you're not feminine enough. That is not what I'm saying at all. And I don't want you to think that's that's what I'm saying. Because men are sinful and men can be brutes. And men can be idiots. And the most feminine woman, a Proverbs 31 woman, can come in that household and not change anything. It's not to say that your femininity has to, uh, you're not responsible for their actions. You're only responsible for their own. You have a massive influence, but don't blame yourself for the actions of others. Because that is completely against the Bible's teachings. And just one more quick word. I'm not saying that a woman has to be a stay-at-home mum. 
Although I do think that is a wonderful and glorious thing, especially when you have young children. Um, Proverbs 31, the woman has this amazing amount of economic activity, doesn't she? Quite an amazing amount of economic activity. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Proverbs uh, 31.24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Uh, before the uh, Industrial Revolution got into full swing in the 19th century, the, the household was a place of productivity. Uh, and all textiles and a lot of food production happened in the home. And when the Industrial Revolution came out, factories came out and put a lot of women out of work. And so this one-income household wasn't actually a thing until the Industrial Revolution came along and men went off to work in the factories. But interestingly now, this is just a kind of a side point, uh, a lot of women are now earning their income at home. They're, they're thinking of all these amazing ways to start businesses and do things from home, and I think that's a glorious and wonderful thing if you can work at home. But I also understand uh, we live in the real world. In our day and age, working outside of home sometimes is unavoidable, um, especially if the home doesn't have a father, it doesn't have a provider, in the case of single mothers or maybe disability, um, and some women do have to go out and work. And I understand that not every situation is ideal. Um, but being the, the home as the primary sphere of influence is something that should be supported as much as possible. And men, do everything you can to enable your wife to be in the home. Do everything you can uh, to enable your wife, especially if you have young children. Why? Why is that the case? Why do men have to do that? Why, why should women be at home? Because God has given this tremendous culture-shaping power to the woman. Now, C.S. Lewis calls the homemaker the ultimate career. Why? Because all other careers exist to support that career. All other careers exist to support that. But she has this amazing uh, culture-shaping power. Uh, verse 14, it says, She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. You know, she's going out, she's searching out new things to eat, new things to give to her family. She's experimenting. She's trying to bless them. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for her whole household household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She puts flesh on things. She makes things bloom, come to life. If you want to see an ugly place, go to a boy's share house. Come to my old place in Adamstown and come look at the photos there. Beck can attest to it. That place was not beautiful. I think I put up one picture of a guy surfing in the main room, but there's many things that that house was. It was smelly, it was gross, and it definitely wasn't beautiful. When a woman comes into a home, she creates beautiful things. If anyone remembers my place in Brankston before Beck moved in, there were no plants in it. <laughs> there was no beauty in it. When women come in, they make things beautiful. They create beautiful clothes. You see, she creates beautiful meals, decorations, things to adorn her house and turn it into a home. Beauty and warmth follow a feminine woman. Beauty and warmth follow them. And just a warning um, to the ladies here, with the same hands that build a home, those same hands can tear a home down. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest of women builds her house. But folly with her own hands tears it down. It's a tragedy when a mother, when a wife creates such a toxic environment in her home that the family would rather be anywhere else. Proverbs 21.9. I kind of find these funny. Hopefully you guys don't find them too offensive. Proverbs 21.9. It's better to live in the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 
Uh, Proverbs 21.19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Uh, Solomon is saying it's better to live on your roof on a 40 degree day, right in the corner of it, than, or out in the desert in the blazing sun, than to live with an argumentative and anxious woman. She's turned the house into something other than a home. Now it's just a building, it's no longer a home. It's not a place of refuge, but a place of danger. It's not a place of comfort, but a place of scorn and rebuke. Godly women build their household, their housekeepers. Foolish women tear them down. The Bible is clear that godly women are housekeepers. It's it's all throughout the text. And I, I mean, if I just quoted everything, we're going to be here all day. But godly women should learn to be busy in the home, generous, and culture shapers. I want to tie all this together as we get to our fifth point, but still keep tracking with me. Life giver, number three. The woman has an amazing ability to bring life into the world. Now, Eve, you remember Adam and Eve, Eve's name literally means the mother of all living. The mother of all living. You see Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman is a fruitful woman. She's a fruitful woman. She brings life to things. Her children rise up, it says in verse 28, and call her blessed. This is the most unique aspect of femininity because it is the only one of the only aspects that men couldn't even begin to copy. We can't give life. Men cannot give life, no matter how much some men might want to. And before we go any further, I want to acknowledge that this can be a, a point of deep hurt for some women. A point of deep hurt. Because not everyone gets to conceive and have children. Uh, whether it's because you're single and you want to get married and you haven't been able to get married, or whether um, your body is physically incapable of having children. It's a point of grief and sorrow for many women, and I've known many women with that. Um, and I've known many women who've prayed earnestly for a husband and haven't found one, or prayed earnestly uh, for their womb to be opened up, like so many women in the Bible have had before, and yet their womb remains closed. It's a painful thing. It's a tough thing. and It's an affliction. It's a sorrow, but God is present and near, and he hasn't forgotten you. He does not forget you. Pay close attention, because as I'm going to go through this, I'm going to come back and talk to women who are in that situation. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to move on. Our culture sees children as more of a, a curse than a blessing sometimes, something to be avoided, something that kind of is troublesome. It gets in the way. It hinders your plan. It hinders what you want. Um, you know, our culture spins this narrative that fulfillment comes from pursuing careers and ambition, not from planting families. It's much better to just own a dog, a lot more easier to take care of than have kids. They take a lot out of you. They cost a lot of money. People have all these reasons why. Don't have kids. Don't have kids. Don't have kids. And it's interesting that when God wants to curse the man and the woman, he curses them right in their commission, in their vocation. What does he say to the man? He curses the man's work. His ability to go out, his ability to conquer, to plant, to cultivate, that's what he curses. But what does he curse for the woman? Childbearing. Her role in fruitfulness, in multiply, he curses her childbearing. Uh, Candace Bushnell, she's this famous column writer, well, sort of famous, I bet. You guys probably don't know who she is, but you'll know what she wrote. In the 80s, she wrote a column called Sex in the City, which was later turned into the popular TV show. 
that a lot of you guys know of. And it popularised the concept of young, attractive women pursuing careers and promiscuity, um, being just like the boys, having ambition, going out and, and having, trying to have these, this lifestyle. And it's, and it's supposed to be fulfilling. It's supposed to be satisfying. Go out and compete with the boys, be better than the boys, sleep around. Um, and so this woman who is writing this and encouraging other young women to do that, in her 60s, she wrote a column last year. And she now says that she regrets choosing a career over having children. And as you can imagine, by writing that column, she turned from feminist hero into villain almost immediately. Uh, she's a divorcee, she's single, and she's worth 18 million pounds. And this is a British paper reporting this. She says, when I was in my 30s and 40s, I didn't think about it then. When I got divorced, I was in my 50s. I started to see the impact of not having children and being truly alone. I do see that people with children have an anchor in a way that people, that people don't who have no kids. And then she goes on to talk about the fact that she's got no one to care for her in her old age. She has to rely on girlfriends instead of her children to take care of her. And it's an amazing observation, a very honest observation, I feel, from a woman who has made her entire career out of telling women to do the opposite. She's not alone. In fact, there has been quite a few articles written by women in the same situation who say they regret choosing career over children. Childbearing and fruitfulness are incredibly fulfilling pursuits. They're tough, they're hard. Just like anything God asks of us, they're tough and hard and require effort, but they're fulfilling. Our culture promotes death and misery, but God's vision for femininity produces life and flourishing. No, one, no wonder a culture that hates God hates that aspect. They hate motherhood. They hate children. But Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. It is a reward, children. It is some a gracious gift that God gives to you. And I'm sure all the parents here can say amen to that. Although at some points they probably wanted to strangle their kids. I know my dad many times probably wanted to do that. Um, but don't let the culture tell you where your value is. You are a life giver. Men are not. Men cannot create life. We cannot have babies. Learn to love your children that the Lord has given to you and see them as blessings from his hands. Okay, point, point four. Lady of wisdom. Lady of wisdom. Godly women are wise, educated, and knowledgeable. This is a very similar point to men. Remember from last week, we talked about sages. Uh, women should be educated. They should grow in knowledge and wisdom and with the fear of the Lord as their foundation. Uh, without the fear of the Lord, we know that knowledge puffs up. It makes arrogant. It makes people stand up against God. But knowledge with the foundation where the fear of the Lord is right at the center, um, it makes you humble, but it also makes you wise. Uh, Proverbs 31, 26. Look at this woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I'm also going to chuck in... Uh, Proverbs 1.8, forsake not your mother's teaching. It is a fool who forsakes his mother's teaching. An idiot who does not listen to his mother. Women were made to be wise and well-versed in the word of God. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.11 couldn't be any clearer. Let a woman learn. They should learn. They should grow in knowledge. They should be taught. They should be educated. Uh, some cultures in the past have sought to restrict learning from women. They are unbiblical and frankly, satanic. Godly women should take up the sword of the Spirit, rightly divide and understand the Word of God. They should know this back to front. They should explore and devour all realms of knowledge and wisdom, and no learning should be restricted from them. 
Just like men, they should learn not to trust in their emotions, but to be calm and wise and knowledgeable, quick to listen, slow to speak. Notice the language in verse 26. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The way she teaches is not harsh. It's with kindness. She's not concerned with just sharing knowledge and wisdom, but teaching virtue and morality, enculturating, bringing forth a new generation who know and love God. She instills virtue and morality in her children and community by teaching with kindness and nurturing. A teaching has a firm role and place in the life of feminine, a feminine woman. And I, I think, this is just my opinion, that's probably why the teaching fields are dominated by women. Because women, I think, at the heart of femininity is this desire to want to impart wisdom and to learn and to grow. It's probably why also women outperform men academically. Because, um, Schools are a place that, um, you know, women learn a lot and they grow a lot and they're good at and, and teaching and education should not be withheld from them. Uh, most women want to help people to grow and enculturate and, and especially children. And I feel like it's just built into their personalities, but that's, that's my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think teaching and growing in wisdom is so important. All women should be growing and learning for their whole, no matter how old they are, um, they should always be learning to grow. Last point, number five, glory bearer. We're going to spend some time on this because this is probably the most amazing truth, one of the most amazing truths of the Bible. Women, a woman is the glory of mankind. First Corinthians eleven seven. Man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. We saw last week that man was a glory bearer as well. The same point. Point number five is the same for both of them, masculinity and feminine. But there's a peculiar masculine glory for men and then a peculiar feminine glory for women. What on earth does that mean? Well, I think the answer is probably going to shock you. Uh, what we're talking about here is not shared glory. Uh, men do not have any extra dignity or worth or value. That would be an utterly foolish reading of the text. Uh, Proverbs 31.25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she lasts at the time to come. What it's saying is that women have this peculiar feminine glory in the sense that they are the glory of mankind, the crown of mankind. Proverbs 12.4, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Have you ever noticed the fact that the Bible talks about a woman's beauty? Women are beautiful creatures. But it's not talking merely about the outward appearance, but the inward character. Verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That language of glory, that language of respect, dignity, honor. Women are to foster this inward beauty um, because outward beauty, although outward beauty is great, is utterly meaningless and ugly if the person is an ugly person. Proverbs 11.22 has a really vivid image, like a ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. <laughs> what a vivid picture. Uh, but Peter echoes this in uh, 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 3 to 4. He's speaking to women. He says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which God's sight is very precious. Women are beautiful creatures. They were created by God to be beautiful, abundantly more beautiful than men. I'm a little biased, 
but I definitely think women are abundantly more beautiful than men. But a woman with a gentle, beautiful soul is precious to God. Very precious to God. She's the glory of mankind. To God, inward beauty is precious. It's, if this is true, uh, then we've stumbled upon a profound mystery. I've got a long passage from Paul, but every word of it, pay attention, every word as I'm reading. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We saw last week how masculinity was ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus, didn't we? This is a profound mystery, because where is femininity fulfilled? The church. But not the church currently, not this ragtag bunch of sinners that we see before us. Still struggling with sin, but the church sanctified. Notice the language of beauty that we saw here. He presents the church washed in full splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. Men in this passage are called to imitate Jesus. Women here are called to imitate the church. How is this the case? What does this look like? Church is the bride of Christ. We've heard that imagery before, the bride of Christ. So what is the church? The church is God's redeemed people, his household, mankind restored and reunited with God. The church is our home. It's our true home, the place where we really belong, the place where we have um, all the needs that we could possibly need emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, psychologically. All these different realms, all of them are fulfilled in the church Finally, on that final day when the church is raised in splendor, the church is our true home, the place where we belong. Jesus says in John 14, 1, 2, let your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He's preparing for us a house. And what is that house that God has prepared for us? In Revelation, is the bride of the Lamb, New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 9 to 11, listen to this. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The bride is beautiful. The bride is our home. It's our household. 
Galatians 4.26 says, The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Our true home is in heaven, so when uh, women are called to imitate the church, it unlocks for us the beauty and utter splendor of the woman. She represents humanity perfected. She represents humanity restored. No wonder godly women are helpers, because they signify the help and submission of the church to Christ. No wonder the godly women are housekeepers because they signify the true home, New Jerusalem in all its splendor. No wonder they are life givers because the church, the Jerusalem above, is the fullness of the Abrahamic promises. You can read all about it in Galatians 4. It will have descendants as numerous as the stars. No wonder the church is a lady of wisdom. No wonder the woman is a lady of wisdom because the church is entrusted with the truths of Scripture, the keys to the household of God. And last, no wonder woman is the glory of mankind because she signifies the perfect, redeemed, and restored church. Our true home is the heavenly Jerusalem, a city beautifully adorned, betrothed to Jesus in splendor. No wonder women are beautiful creatures. A woman is where we get this beautiful foretaste of the glory that is to come in heaven. You might think, wait a minute, how can that be the case? When a woman makes a home, she foreshadows the true home. She imitates the true home. And just like the church is not a building but a people, the household is not a building, it's actually a person. The woman is the home. If you take the woman out of the home, it is no longer a home. It loses its warmth, it loses the beauty that she brings. And that's why it's a tragedy when women are not to be found in the home. That's why it's so damaging when they are absent. Women give the family a foretaste of heaven. By meeting the needs of her children and her husband, she gives them the foretaste of the heaven that meets all our needs. Where we are safe, where we are secure, where we have this sense of belonging, where we have nurture and love and fulfillment. Ladies, this is no small vocation. I imagine most of you are feeling the weight. Are you telling me that my home has to be heaven right now? Well, yes and no. <laughs> you might be struck by the beauty of this. Others may be overwhelmed by the, la- uh, the weight of this. But ladies, you are not justified by your femininity. You are not justified by your household. You are justified by Jesus. By the blood of Jesus who will present you one day wholly without blemish who will present you one day before God in splendor. And you may think the call to emulate the church, the bride of Christ in all its splendor, is an impossible task. Well, guess what? Men get an impossible task too. Who are we called to imitate? Jesus. We're both given impossible tasks. So why does God give this to us? Because now we have somewhere to aim. We have somewhere to go. We have something to grow up into. And we have maturity that we can now grow in. Because if we just have this vague knowledge, like when someone tells you, be a man, and you're like, great, I will do that when the moment I find out what that is. Or someone tells you, act more feminine. And you might think, I have this vague idea that I need to be more kind to people. No, now you know. Now you have somewhere to aim. Now you have somewhere to grow. What about those women who don't get a home, who don't get married, who don't have children? 
I told you that I wouldn't forget you. Hold your head high because God has not forgotten you either. Galatians 4, 26 to 27. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, it is an honor to have a household. And ladies here who have a household, praise God for that. But don't forget that in the church, you belong to the very thing, the home, the very thing that your home is foreshadowing. All women are a part of the church who believe in Jesus and have repented and put their faith in him. And God has given you your femininity to bless and to keep the church he has put you in. He has given you by his grace. Uh, he's included you in his household. He's, God has made you his bride so that you can go about the task of preparing and making a home for his household. Use your gifts and talents to turn the church into a home for the broken, for the downtrodden, for the sinner, for the saints. And you will find that you have more children than the one who can bear. The Apostle Paul never married. Does that mean he's not masculine? Because he didn't have a wife? didn't have a household? No. He's probably one of the most masculine men who ever lived. He used his masculinity to bless and keep the church. How? Well, he provided oversight and rule. We learned that with Lord when we talked about masculinity. He cultivated and watered and planted churches. He used his gifts of cultivation. He imparted wisdom and he rescued and ransomed the world with the gospel. Ladies, your femininity is not broken if you don't have a husband. It's not broken if you don't have children. It's given you this amazing room to flourish and grow into it as you use your femininity to bless those around you. In fact, just like the Apostle Paul, not getting married often gives you more opportunities to be feminine and more opportunities to be masculine. Rejoice, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who, has a hu- that those who have a husband. Rejoice. Learn it now, single women. If you are not married, if you're seeking marriage later in life, Grow in your femininity now because a godly man will want a woman that he knows will help him, that will keep his home, that will be wise, that will give life. But also the church needs women like that. The church is desperate for women like that. We've been sold a lie for a long time, very, very long time. So church, we have a choice before us. We can hear these amazing truths from God and just brush them off, be like, yep, not for me. Or we can take them and run with them and create a community that heralds the gospel. When we have masculine men and feminine women, it is a picture and image of the gospel. Your household is a picture and image of the gospel. The church is the picture and image of the gospel. We're all here because at one stage or another, we put our faith in Jesus and repented and turned to him. And we were ushered in as children into God's household. Let's pray. Father, these are weighty truths. These are profound mysteries. But Lord, I pray for the women of this church. I thank you and praise you for the amazing, strong, wise women that you have placed in this church. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would help them to grow more into their femininity, to bless those around them, to know that their lives are precious 
to you. Father, help them, whatever sphere they have, whether they're single or married, whether they have children in the home or the children have left, Lord, you give ample opportunity for us to exercise the gifts you've given us. Father, I pray for the men and women of this church. Help them grow. Help them not forget these words. Help them write them down to keep themselves accountable to these things, to not walk away here unchanged, but to be doers of your word, not just hearers. We thank you, Lord. We praise you that you have designed gender to be so amazing and wonderful. And I pray for our ladies here at church that they would not buy the lie of this culture, but they would press into the fruitfulness and flourishing that you have promised us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.